Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I share a recent conversation I had with the UBU SHRM Student Chapter Podcast team. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Westover, for joining me and Clayton for our HR podcast that we have for UVU. Appreciate your time. It's a pleasure, Jace. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Awesome. So we'll just jump right in. I One of the questions that I had and wanted just to ask to get everybody to get to know you a little bit more is... What is the path you took to get to your doctorate and ultimately choose HR? Yeah, I, you know, I could ramble on and on and on on this question for ages. I took a non-traditional path, um, so I'll try to keep it somewhat succinct. But, you know, I, I was one of those undergrad students who changed majors a bunch of times as I was trying to figure out, you know, what I liked, what I was good at, um, you know, really define uh, my kind of vision and purpose for my own career. And so I went through a lot of iterations, uh, as, as many students do, uh, to try to figure all of that out. And at the time, I was actually, this was my third major. I was an accounting major um, at Brigham Young University. And, you know, that, it's a good program. Uh, I'm, if I graduate from that program, it's a top, you know, one or two or three program in the country. I'm guaranteed a successful career with great companies. Um, and so, you know, that was the track I was on. Uh, and then I happened into an internship. I, uh, I had served an LDS mission in South Korea and I was minoring in Korean at BYU. So, you know, in addition to my accounting courses, I was taking a random Korean course here and there. And my Korean professor came in one day to class and said, hey, would anyone like to go back to Korea for an internship this summer? And I didn't know what the internship would be. I didn't know the company. I didn't know anything about it, but I, you know, my hand shot up and I said, that would be great. And, and so I, that was it. Like I, I signed up and it turned out I, I had an internship with LG Electronics in South Korea at their corporate organizational development uh, and change office. And so I ended up spending the summer in that context. And by the end of the summer, and it was such a cool job. Uh, and everything they did, I just loved. And so by the end of that summer, I came back and I'm like, there's no way I can do accounting now. Um, you know, I liked accounting. I was good at it. It would have been a great career. Um, I'm not trying to discount anyone who is an accountant, <laughs> but but that's, that's where my love for HR um, started to develop was on that internship. And so I came back, I talked to professors about, you know, how I could switch into HR and uh, the, the, the university didn't have a program at that time. 
And so the professor said, well, go, go do a social science. So I switched my major one more time. I ended up going to sociology. And uh, so I ended up uh, graduating with a bachelor's of science in sociology with an emphasis in research and analysis with minors in business and minor in Korean. And uh, with the intention at that point that I wanted to try to go into HR. As I was approaching the end of my uh, undergrad years though, um, you know, I, I was graduating with a sociology degree and I, I had the business minor. Uh, I, I was involved with SHRM, there was a SHRM chapter and uh, I, I was involved in a competition with SHRM uh, from BYU and I, I'd done some directed research and I'd, I'd done some of those types of things that, that uh, students often do. And it was all good experience and um, ultimately, I decided I wasn't going to be able to achieve the goals I wanted uh, unless I went on for grad school. So I, as, as I finished my bachelor's degree, I immediately went on to my master's program with an emphasis in human resource management, again, there at BYU in the Marriott School. And once I, uh, well, as I was going through that program, again, the intention was HR. I, I wanted particularly training and development, organizational development. That was what I was most interested in, in, in terms of the HR areas. And I had some really cool internships. I worked with a consulting firm for a while. Um, I worked in the, uh, I, I was both the external consultant, that, you know, as I was working with a, a consulting firm, but I was also an internal consultant. I was in the, the human resource development office at BYU, where I did a lot of training and consulting with different divisions and in, in, um, areas on campus. And so I, I knew I loved all of that and I wanted to do it. And as I was approaching the end of my master's program, I, uh, I was interviewing with big companies. I had some really great opportunities. Uh, the problem was, as I was exploring those opportunities and getting close to offers, I became crystal clear that their expectation for me was not conducive with what I wanted for myself and for my family. By this point, I was married. I had a child. I had you know, another on the way. And uh, I didn't want to work 80, 90 hour weeks. I didn't want to travel 80% of the time. I didn't want to move around the country, you know, moving every year. And it was at that point that I decided that I wanted to, to go on and, and get a PhD. So I, I went up to the University of Utah. I went back to sociology. So I got my PhD in sociology with areas of emphasis in uh, comparative international studies and work in organizations. My uh, intention, again, was always I wanted to, to be in the HR space. I wanted to do research in the HR space, but I would do it under the sociology umbrella rather than uh, from the business school. Um, and, and when I was getting close to graduating, I was hired at UVU um, uh, to teach HR. And I've been here now for 12 years, um, and it's, it's been a, a great ride. Uh, great career. I, I can't speak highly enough of, of the life of the academy, you know, and being a professor, um, the, the benefits of that. It's, it's a hard, long slog to get there. Um, going through all the years of grad school, I think I was in, in university for 11 years total. And uh, it's a lot of school, um, a lot of sacrifice, but uh, when, once you get to that light at the end of the tunnel, it's, it's some great outcomes at the end. Thanks so much for sharing all that. It's, it really is, UVU is lucky to have you with all the experience that you've had and um, been able to do internships and other experiences is we're lucky to have you at UVU. Um, 
So I, I, I wanted to ask a question. We've noticed that a lot of your recent material on LinkedIn, first off, you're a LinkedIn star. You're like, your material on LinkedIn is incredible. If, if anybody hasn't followed uh, John Westover, they need to go follow him because um, he's always posting really good, helpful stuff. So uh, I've noticed a lot of recent stuff has been about leadership, uh, Dr. Westover. So there's, there's a podcast that you have titled Command and Control versus leading care. There's another one uh, that's about characteristics of soft leadership, and there's several others. So Dr. Westover, what has stuck out to you the most about leadership recently, and why the draw to it? Well, I think I think leadership is an essential piece of, of HR. Um, it, it always has been in my framing and understanding of, of the role of strategic HR within organizations to drive meaningful culture, uh, empowering um, environments that where you can develop your people and, and maximize the potential of yourself as, as an individual, as a leader, but as well as those who are on your team. And so leadership has always been a foundational component to my uh, understanding of HR and how to, to run successful HR in the workplace. And so, yes, I, I do have a podcast. I, I don't know, I'm something around like 460 episodes into my Human Capital Innovations podcast. Anyone uh, listening, you know, go check it out. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of the more recent episodes and we cover a lot of topics. We, we cover, you know, strictly leadership topics. We, we cover um, other um, HR topics. And I, I just did an interview earlier today uh, looking at the role of AI uh, in safety in the workplace, for example. Um, so there's lots of, of cool content there. Um, but getting back to your question about leadership specifically, uh, I, I think the most important thing we can do, whether it's in our personal lives, uh, whether it's in the workplace, is that we can help develop those around us. And that's what being a leader is. It's, it's influencing others and developing others so that they can see their own potential and then reach for that potential and, and achieve more than they ever thought they were capable of and to really uh, grow into their competencies and capabilities. Uh, and so that's, that's, you know, that's my driving force behind being a professor. That's what I wanna see with my students. Um, that's certainly what I wanna see with the team that I am surrounded with in my consulting work or the faculty that I work with as department chair you know, in, at the university. Uh, ultimately, I, I want to help develop people and I want them to, to be their best selves. And leadership, I mean, there's so many different ways we can get into it, so many different facets of it. Um, but, but ultimately, it comes back to that influence. It comes back to developing people. And, uh, I, you know, the world needs more of that. The, the world needs more people focused on, um, you know, enhancing organizations, enhancing even their own career trajectory and potential, but doing it by helping those around them, uh, not by exploiting uh, or taking advantage of those around them and stepping on the backs of other people to get to where you want to be. That's kind of the traditional doggy dog world paradigm, you know, of, of corporate America. And that's something that I, I reject. And uh, I, I think there's a much better way. Sweet. Great. I, I have a quick follow up. Um, I love, I, I've, I've, I've thought about that same concept and that philosophy a lot where um, 
leadership is about developing others, seeing their potential and helping them reach it. Reach it. That's that's something along the lines, paraphrasing what you said earlier. Um, I love that. Super cool. So I, what is one of the most favorite tidbits that you've that you've picked up on in the last month or so, or or one of your recent podcasts that's really stuck out to you? Um, I I think I I do a lot of work. Um, both my academic work, my research, um, teaching, but also consulting work, uh, podcasts, whatever, um, around the future of work. And as I think about leadership in the future of work, it is going to require a different kind of leader, uh, someone who's who has a different kind of skill set, different capabilities than perhaps what we saw in previous generations. The command and control approach to leadership where you're kind of the big dog and everyone looks to you and you give orders and they follow, that's a very outdated model of leadership. Um, it, it can serve its purpose, particularly in times of, of um, chaos, in times of, of catastrophe, you need a strong leader who can give directions and people follow. Um, but in the information economy and in the current uh, situation we find ourselves in, with more and more technological integration into the workplace, uh, with more diverse teams, with more international uh, teams, cross-cultural teams. We need leaders who are agile, leaders who are, are good people managers, people who, uh, individuals who can work with uh, diverse teams and, and help leverage the capacity of those teams. Uh, and that's not a command and control approach. And if, if an organization has predominantly command control types of leaders, you know, moving to the future, they're, they're simply not going to be able to be competitive in the marketplace. Uh, they will lose out to other uh, more progressive, more agile types of organizations. Uh, and it's, it's, it's for a couple of reasons. For one, uh, that, that model of leadership that leads to it's more of a fear-based approach to leadership and it, it drives compliance uh, and compliance is good. Like we, in HR, we talk about compliance. You need to have legal compliance and those sorts of things. And, and you know, if you have uh, organizational policies, norms, you want some level of compliance with those among your people, but it's, it's how you get to that compliance. If, if you have a model of leadership where people are fearful and, and it's a it's a carrot and stick kind of an approach to motivation. People are fearful about um, their jobs. Uh, they will comply, but they won't be committed. Uh, they won't be engaged, and they won't innovate uh, because they're they're driven by fear. And so they're they're going to mitigate risk, which means they're not going to take chances. They're not going to stretch and challenge and speak up and, and do those sorts of things. They're going to keep their head down. They're going to try to do, um, you know, the minimum to make sure that they're uh, under the radar and not attracting attention from anybody. And that's not the kind of culture that's going to drive a successful organization. Um, you know, back in, when, it, you know, I've worked in factories, I've worked in construction, I've worked a variety of types of of jobs. And there are certain jobs where, yeah, if you, you know, if you have an unskilled person uh, who doesn't have a lot of expertise, they probably need some more direction. In the knowledge economy and in the information economy, driven by technological disruption and innovation, 
we need people to be empowered to to develop themselves and to grow into their capacities and to to be creative and innovate. Uh, if we can't do that, then we're in big big trouble. So that's that's what leaders in the future of work need to be able to do, uh, and that's what I focus a lot of my work on. Uh, in working with organizations or in the research that I do. That's fantastic. I, I, I really appreciate that aspect of, as a leader, not trying to drive fear to those around you, but actually just trying to build them up. I think I have a, I have a follow-up question with that. So in your experience, what are, like, obviously we still want compliance, but we don't want fear. How do your, where does some of the, best things your leaders can do to help other people reach their potential and avoid fear tactics? It's, it starts with openness and transparency in how you communicate with your people. Um, if you want a psychologically safe workplace where people feel empowered to speak up and to speak out and to challenge and to try new things, then it starts with you as the leader setting the example and being a model for those types of behaviors and that type of communication. So be open and transparent in your communication. Uh, have regular, consistent um, interactions with your people where you can encourage them uh, to to try new things. And you know, I often talk about leaning into the messiness or the the ambiguity or the complexities of life or the workplace. Um, you know, we need to lean into it. We need to fall forward, fail fast. We need to uh, learn iteratively. And so sometimes we frame it as failure. Like we try something and we fail. It didn't work out. Yeah, I, I suppose we can frame it as failure. But that, again, that's a more of a fear-based kind of a, uh, an environment or a culture. Now, if, if I do something wrong and it doesn't work out and then I learn nothing from it and I just keep doing the same thing over and over again, well, that's stupid and that, you know, needs to be dealt with, but there's nothing wrong with trying something and having it not work. Uh, if we, if we can fall forward, fail fast and, and then learn from it and, and adopt a growth mindset so that we're, you know, we're turning that stumbling block into a stepping stone, you know, then we, that, that's how all innovation occurs. Um, and that's how all great new products are developed. Um, and, and ultimately that's what we want from our teams. So we have to get away from the traditional culture, uh, that's pervasive, uh, and dominant in many organizations, uh, of, of fear-based, um, compliance-based and move into openness, transparency, uh, empowering autonomy, uh, where people are expected to learn and grow. Uh, and if, if I'm held accountable to that standard, that's very different than if I'm, you know, if I'm in trouble every time I, I if I misstep, right, you know, I, I do something that doesn't quite work out. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. 
Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. That's awesome. Um, felt like a little shout out to Carol Dweck when you mentioned mindset. Uh, that's one of my favorite books, but I feel like a lot of what you said really ties into that. Um, move away from fear tactics, move away from the fixed mindset, right? Move away from thinking if I fail, I'm stuck and that attributes to my worth and who I am. And I think leaders can, can, can tap into that too. If this employee fails, then they're not a good employee, right? <laughs> but moving into this growth mindset of like, yeah, let's try it, let's be open, let's, let's fail, and then let's learn and let's let's adjust and, and be in this attitude of we can change. Love that. Um, great. So just to kind of wrap it up, I, I, I feel like there's so much work that you and other researchers have done to further the work of HR. Um, do you feel like current HR students and professionals, for that matter, are utilizing the research in HR to further the workplace? If not, what are some things they could do better to utilize that research better or more? Yeah, uh, an important question and connecting the academic endeavor to practitioner um, outcomes, I think is, is something we always need to be thinking about. So I certainly don't wanna ever, you know, be kind of this disconnected ivory tower academic who's doing interesting research, but it doesn't actually matter for anybody. I mean, the reality is if I publish a cool article I do a big research study. I publish a cool article. If I'm lucky in the academic world, there might be hundreds of people that read that article. Um, and then they, they build on it, you know, in their own research. Um, the vast majority of research articles hardly get anyone even looking at them, let alone, you know, really um, leveraging the insights from them. And so, you know, I've, I've been pretty fortunate and, and successful in my research work. And so I, I, I do feel good about the, the, the traditional academic research reach and impact, you know, uh, of the work that I've done. But I, I've always had an intention uh, of, of trying to have a practitioner orientation to the work that I do. And particularly over the last couple of years, I've put it, I've made a concerted effort towards trying to you know, for lack of a better term, kind of translate the academic research into more uh, practitioner-oriented um, information in, in a style that can, is more digestible by the average manager. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I started my podcast. Um, we talk about all the things that I've been doing research on for, for years and years, 
Um, but it's in a way it's, it's, it's in a dialogue format where I'm interviewing, uh, industry experts and thought leaders and, and professionals who have insights to share. And so together we can help listeners better understand, you know, specific practical things they can start doing today in order to make a difference in the workplace with their people, with their teams. Um, and so a lot of the writing that I do now, you know, I still do the traditional academic research, but a lot of the writing I do now, uh, is practitioner oriented, you know, uh, publishing and, in other industry types of outlets. Um, and even a recent book that I wrote that is not for an academic audience, even though I've done that prior. Um, this one is, is, is specifically for practitioners, for, for organizational leaders and people managers. Uh, and my hope is, you know, that people can take um, in digestible chunks, tidbits of, of knowledge and information that's backed by research uh, in order to improve um, the situation uh, in their workplace. Now I say all of that because the reality is for the most part, I think there's a pretty darn big disconnect between academic research in the field of HR and, and getting it to um, organizational leaders and people managers, people in the HR field who are actually doing it day in and day out. And that's a really unfortunate disconnect. So we need to do more to bridge that gap. Um, Another thing that I often see, because I do work, you know, I do consulting work in the areas of organizational development, training and development, those sorts of things. There's lots of models out there in other consulting firms. And um, I like a good model as much as anyone else, but models inherently are limited in, uh, you know, they, they are descriptive of a particular um, of a phenomenon within a particular context. And the reality is contexts differ when you're working with organizations because organizations are messy and people are messy and human interaction is messy. Uh, and so the thought of being able to, to a, apply one model consistently across contexts um, and to be able to come to good solutions, uh, that's a pretty laughable uh, premise Yet that's exactly what ends up happening a lot of times in business and in consulting firms working with businesses. Um, so I'm a big advocate for more for more of a research-based approach to how we um, address organizational problems. Uh, if we if we want to get beyond the surface level band-aid solutions, then we have to dig deeper, right? We have to get below the surface. We have to understand the root cause of of the the problems, the systemic issues that are, are um, causing these other symptoms. And unless we can do that, uh, ultimately, uh, the, the, the issues are going to be pervasive and continue uh, never ending, right? And so ultimately, uh, that's my hope, that's my goal. And that's why I think research is so important in the HR space. Uh, because again, you know, people are messy, organizations are messy, and the only way that you're going to be able to find sustainable solutions is by rolling up your sleeves and doing the work of research to understand the core root causes of those problems. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Westover. And I think that that's well, perfectly said. Like you mentioned, I, I, I think the idea that, you know, we have all this research, we have all this academia to back up, you know, good practice, but what we may lack is just that link between the two, which is here's the research, here's what's actually going on in businesses. How can we incorporate that? So, or link those two, 
that the best channel for lack of a better word is actually being placed in the, in the workforce. So thank you so much for that. I also want to th say thank you on behalf of all students at UVU for taking your classes for all the growth that they've been able to go through from taking your classes. And I'm sure, well, all the, all the work that you've done for businesses so that they can use the research, utilize the research that you've seen, you've done into the workforce. So appreciate that. And for anyone listening, please reach out to John Westover, Human Capital Innovations, uh, LinkedIn, anything, just because you'll be able to learn a lot of how you can apply research to your businesses now. Um, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Westover. We really appreciate it. And again, thanks for all that you've done. Thank you. It was a pleasure. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.